This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is Megan Rapino, and I'm Sue Bird. We've decided to turn our crazy IG live show into a podcast for your listening pleasure. Enjoy the show. A Touch More. New episodes of A Touch More drop Tuesday only on the Blue Wire Podcast Network. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Spotify, Apple, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts. What's up, everybody? Welcome to Prospects 101, brought to you by Blue Wire Pods and Bet Online. This is the show where we discuss and analyze football prospects on all levels beyond the industry standard high school, college, and the NFL draft. You name it, we cover it. You can follow and interact with us on all social media accounts at Prospects101Pod. I'm Kenny Keller, your host, and I'm joined by Brandon Pastel, who, depending on what day it is, has a different favorite football team. Which is it today, Pastel? Virginia Tech, Cincinnati, JMU, or another team? <laughs> get, get out of here, man. I'm, I'm a Duke dog for life, all right? Don't get it twisted. Virginia Tech, Hokies, they're my favorite uh, Power 5 team. Cincinnati's just another team that I always root for. I don't know why, but I, I'm a big Cincinnati fan like every sport, and I, I never even grew up in the area. But uh, can I, get out of here. <laughs> you were a Mets fan at one point, and then you became a Nationals fan. So it's almost like you, you choose what team you want to like every other day, too completely different the nationals didn't exist when i was growing up i didn't have a hometown baseball team the mets had mike piazza who's the best baseball player of all time uh and i'm also joined by i'm also hot take i'm also joined by my other co-host brandon glessner who roots for a program that can't even beat a duck to be honest and that's the washington huskies yeah i think we're one in 14 against oregon the last 15 years it's it's getting it's getting rough but uh the last out of the last three years, we've won one, and one has gone into overtime, which we should have beat. And then the second one, we got beat on the last drive. But we're, we're, we're getting there. We're, we're getting there. We, we got a program. We'll be all right. They got a couple, they've gotten a couple five stars this year. It's going to be interesting. Oregon's got a couple Pac-12 champion, championships in the last five years, so I'll take that. It, correct me if I'm wrong. I, them and Oregon are the only two Pac-12 teams to make the college football playoff, right? The only two. Yeah. No. I – Oh, yes, they are. I, I was thinking Oregon recently, but yes, Oregon made the national championship against Florida Auburn. State. I believe they – Florida State. Well, they beat – no, they beat, the, they beat the pants off of Florida State in the Rose That's Bowl. Right. That's and right. And then they ended up playing Cam Newton uh, in the final. And Cam no. Newton – Yes. Yeah, no, that's, yeah. Not, that's, not, that's pre-playoff, Gless. Cam Newton was 2010. Yeah. Who did, who did Oregon – who did Oregon – Oregon got spanked by – oh, Ohio uh, State. Ohio State. That's who yeah. it was. It was Ohio State. You're right. Yeah. Because that was the one where they interview after the game, they interviewed Urban Meyer, and they're like, Urban, how are you going to prepare for Oregon? They just beat Florida State 62-10. to 10. And he was like, man, we got to start game planning. <laughs> uh, speaking of game planning, guys, and, and you know one of the toughest jobs as an offensive coordinator is to game plan around a strong defensive line, and that's what we're talking about today. So for all those who, who haven't been listening to our prospect series that we've been doing, we've been listing the top prospects at every 
position on offense so far. So quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, and we just did an offensive line seg- uh, series. So if you haven't heard those, go back and listen. But today we start on the other side of the ball, and that's defense. And what a better way to start than in the defensive line. So we, we're going to give some love to the big guys, some guys in the trenches. Yeah, it's going to be it's going it's it's a good class honestly overall the defensive line. And I kind of want to break it up defensive tackle so interior defensive line and also the edge rusher. Now the edge rusher is kind of a term that has kind of taken shape more over the recent years because you used to think just defensive end. You used to think defensive line, linebackers, and then you had defensive backs. Really three phases of the defense. But now with the the pass rush the way it is in today's NFL, really it's kind of developed that edge rusher term. Which the edge rusher, really think about it this way. So a 4-3 defense, you have two defensive ends. That's more of an edge rusher as your D ends. Now in a 3-4, the outside linebacker would be an edge rusher. So really kind of based off your defensive set, really defines who the edge rusher is. It's, it's one of those defensive players that sets the edge and will rush the pass, uh, passer. Kind of is what the edge rusher is. So now when we go through who we see as prospects, understand college football that you might see him as a linebacker, or you might see him clearly as a defensive uh, lineman. And we kind of took the formula that kind of I just said and made him a edge rusher prospect. Now, there's probably some guys that we miss because they I classify them more as a linebacker, not so much as a edge rusher. So, kind of that getting straight into it. This upcoming draft, I think the number one edge rusher in college football is Gregory Rousseau. He's a six foot seven, two hundred fifty three. A uh, player who, it's funny because he kind of reminds you of Chase Young, like just the body size. He looks like a freak uh, as far as the, as, just his look. He's a scary looking guy, but he's also very productive. He was only one sack behind Chase Young this past year with 15.5 sacks. Honestly, he was a, what, restaurant freshman this past year? He's, there was no technique in his game. Absolutely zero think, technique. He was just a freak. He was just, he was faster. He was quicker. He played all over the defensive line. I think 50% of his snaps, he was a nose, a defensive tackle or a nose tackle type setup, and he was just blowing past the center. So as soon as the coach kind of gets him in the, in the weight room and kind of on the field, he kind of develops some techniques, develops some counters, some, some different moves. I think the sky's the limit for Rousseau, and it's going to be a very, very fun prospect to watch, especially because Quincy Roche, who's another guy on this list, is on the opposite side of him. It's going to be very hard to figure out who you're going to double team and who you're going to kind of line up. And you can line these guys up on both sides of the defense. So he's a very... Uh, Interesting prospect to watch, and in my opinion, a top five player in the NFL draft. Gilles, go ahead. You you sound like you had something to say there. In the film that I've watched of him, I I need to see him against some better competition and see how he performs. I think a lot of the highlights that I was seeing and a lot of the film I saw were against like kind of lower level teams. So I'd like to see what he does against really good offensive tackle prospects. But I agree with you. I mean, you can't. Can't argue with the size. His speed's impressive. I really like his motor, but I I sure would like to see what he can do against some better competition there. Well, it's kind of like we talked about with Jamar Chase. Was it Joe Bur- uh, Burrow? Was it Joe Brady? But the thing is, he had, was it 15 touchdowns, 18 touchdowns, whatever it was? At some point, it's just the production. It's so outrageous. I don't care if, if he wasn't facing the greatest competition. He's still a very, very good pass yeah. rusher. And again, he's a very young prospect as well. Another guy, though, on the other side of Miami defensive line, that's Quincy uh, Roche. Roche. Uh, he's a transfer from Temple. He's six foot four. He's only two hundred and thirty-five pounds, and I think that's why a lot of people have him maybe a little bit lower on their list. Is he's a he's a weaker, he's a smaller guy. But the crazy thing is, he had thirteen sacks last year, and I think one the I think he was second in college football for QB pressures. And I guess it, I guess it was against a lower competition, more or less. But he was still very, very productive, and he was winning with that smaller frame. Not even a smaller frame, but just at 235. He was still winning with technique. He was winning with uh, double moves. He was very good in, in run defense, too. You would think a guy like that, you're like, okay, maybe he's not as good as or stout in run defense. He was a very good run defender as well. I think people just project him as someone that can't really use a bull rush type of move because of that weight. But I think with that type of frame, 6'4", you can always add on 15 more pounds and add that into his game. So I think he's probably more of a top 20 pick in next year's uh, draft and with the ability to really add on to those stats this year. Another guy, Joe Tryon. Gless, I'm sure you're going to love this guy. Yeah. He's a six foot five, probably prototypical. I, I don't see him playing outside linebacker. I see him more as an edge defensive end, probably 4-3 DN. At the next level, he's 6'5", 262. So he's a bigger guy. I think he's probably even up to 270 in some articles I was reading. Kind of came onto the scene last year. He had eight sacks, 12.5 tackles for losses. And he also played a lot. They, they say the best ability sometimes is availability. The guy was always on the field. I think it was 75 to 80% of uh, 
of downs that he played in versus power the Power yeah. Five conference competition. So he's always on the field. The thing with him that kind of worries with me is he just didn't show up sometimes. There are some halves you would look at him and he's like getting multiple pressures per half, three, four pressures per half. And then you look at another half and it's like he's not getting any pressure. So I think with him it's just more or less a little bit more consistency. And I think you're going to get that. I think he's a true, true junior. Is that correct uh, this upcoming year, Gless? Uh, yeah, he'll be a true junior. Yep. Yeah, so that's something I, I like to see him develop, just a little bit more consistency. Yeah, yeah I think the consistency is big for him. I, I, I will say the, they really treated him like a true Heisman or a true hybrid. Um, I mean, there's a good amount of time that he dropped back on pass coverage, even though he'd be walk up on the line. So I, I'm not sure he is your kind of true quote unquote edge rusher. I think he's more of a hybrid guy that, yeah, he can, he can rush the passer when he needs to, and he can be an effective pass rusher, but he's also a guy that can, that can cover, cover back out of the backfield or can cover an H back something in the flat. And he did a lot of that just because he's so athletic. I mean, he was a former, I, I, he was a big time basketball star in the state of Washington in high school. So he's an incredible athlete in general. So I, yeah, he's classified as an S rusher, but I, Pastor, I like your classification. I think he's going to be a prototypical four-three defensive end, and there may be plays where they even stand him up and he's in pure coverage. But I think he's a hybrid guy at the next level. I really do. Yeah, and in today's NFL, you gotta have that that type of flexibility, and you just want to be set for just say a two type of a two down defensive end. So with him and his type of ability. I think he's definitely a three-down backer or defensive end. Another guy, uh, Carlos Basham. It's funny. I got a guy from Washington, a guy from Wake Forest here on this list. And trust I was me, just, guys, it's, I, it's I not because I want to. <laughs> I was just going to say, I think Pastel's just trying to suck up to us so we don't rip his, uh, yeah, rip his prospects like too hard. Yeah, I guess so, man. But th- this guy is awesome. There's actually a couple guys in Wake Forest this year. I'm kind of interested to see how they do in the in the upcoming year and then as well as the combines. I think they're you know day one, day two picks. And Carlos Basham, he's on that fringe. I think I think he's more of a day two pick, early day two pick. Uh, he had 11 sacks last year. His first team All ACC. The thing with him though is he has doesn't have very moves in his repertoire. So like he has a good counter that he kind of sets the left tackle or right tackle up to the outside, gets him gets leverage on the inside, and he get, he's pretty good with his hips. And he'll dive inside, and that's really his own only move outside of just a straight bull rush. But in college football, he can get away with that bull rush. Because he's just so strong. I think he's 6'6", uh, 275. He's kind of a bigger a bigger player. There's multiple games last year where he had 10-plus pressures uh, in one game. I mean, that, that is phenomenal. I think one was versus Florida State, too. So it's not like just some smaller school. It's a, it's a big-time program. And the thing with him is just, can he develop more moves? Because I, I don't know. I'm not sure if he's going to get away with that at the NFL level, just being more powerful than these other guys. But I'm excited to see what he does in the ACC. I think his stats are going to be absurd this year. And I think just kind of just having another year, uh, he, he should develop another move or two, and that, that will absolutely translate into the uh, NFL. The, the one thing I've noticed uh, with Boogie Basham, uh, being a Wake guy and seeing a lot of Wake Forest games last year, was he does a lot of things that you can't teach. So I'm excited to see how he progresses going into his senior season. You know, you talk about he's limited with his moves and, and, and the different types of techniques that he has, but that's stuff that can be taught, which is good. That's the good thing. Like the things he has to improve on is stuff that you can, you can teach people. Like you can teach players, the stuff you can't teach the, the motor, the effort, you know, the fighting through double teams, stuff like that, that he does so well naturally. It's a lot of things that you can't teach. So, just watching film and plus there wasn't like there was a whole bunch of talent on that D line last year. He faced a lot of double teams and was the focal point of a lot of offenses on who they needed to stop on defense to be successful against Wake Forest. So again, I'm really excited. He reminds me a lot. And I know this is going to be funny because I'm a Jacksonville Jaguars fan, but he reminds me a lot of Yannick Ngankwe and a lot of the reviews about Ngankwe were the same thing. He's very limited technique technique and, and, and how many moves he has in his repertoire, but he has, he developed one of the most devastating spin moves in the NFL, and I think has led the league in strip sacks the last four or five years, or four years now. So he's uh, he he's he reminds me a lot of of Yannick in that sense that he can get to the quarterback, and when he does, he's going to create havoc by always going for the football. So I, I I expect to see him to be a guy who shoots up the list this year. Yeah, and by shooting up the list, I still think I don't want to overhype players either. I think he's a top fifty player that has the chance, if he fits on the right team and right scheme, to be an end-of-the-first-round player with a really good season for Wake Forest. 
but I would say really mid mid second second round pick for him. And then another guy that I'm falling falling more and more in love with, but he has very limited game tape, and that's Aiden Hutchinson from the University of Michigan. He's a six six. 280-pound guy. He's another bigger guy. I think you would probably see him again, like that 4-3 defensive end, stereotypical defensive end that we used to see more or less. And he had 68, he had 68 tackles and four and a half sacks and two forced fumbles. So the good thing about him is that he's a very good tackler, very good and stout in the run defense, but he also has some pass rushing ability to him with, again, four and a half sacks. And that was really his first year playing. We saw a little bit his freshman year, but it was really last year was his first time uh, playing for that Michigan defense, and he the thing with him is he knows how to shed blocks. He'll engage a right tackle or a left tackle and just find a way to get them off them. And then with this his motor, I mean, he's just relentless. He just doesn't have that natural athletic ability, I think, to just blow past these guys like a Gregory Rousseau. But I do think he's an interesting prospect and that he's one of those guys. There's two guys in the Michigan uh, defense, kind of like uh, Miami, just not as good. But I mean, who do you double-team? And that's what's going to help these guys out, and it's going to kind of help pad their stats uh, as they go through this college football season. But he, he's going to be a good guy, and he's going to be interesting to see how he shoots up. He's probably another top 50, top 60 player. I kind of see him as that middle to second, uh, late second round pick. Gless, how much emphasis do you put on production when looking at, at college stats and our defensive line stats, like his like his tackles, tackles for loss, and sacks and stuff? What how much do you, how much emphasis do yeah. you put on that? Yeah, no, I, I think that's it's a fantastic marker on how dominant somebody can be and, and how they can how good they can be at the next level. I think when you look at the sack numbers, I think it should always be with an asterisk and especially the sack numbers because you have to look at the competition that those sacks came against. You know, like a lot of these D one teams they they have a D one double A or like if, you know, no <laughs> You know, I used to always joke Ohio State wins the, you know, the Ohio State championship every year because they have five MAC non-conference games where they win 66 to 10. You know, in scenarios like that, like, could that have boosted Chase, Chase Young's numbers? Probably, but if you looked at the film at Chase Young, it doesn't really matter, right? I mean, the, the talent is there. So I, I just think that the, the numbers have to match what you see on film. So I think both of them kind of work together. And then, of course, you look at the competition and see how good it was, uh, especially if you're an edge rusher, because if you're going up against left tackles or right tackles that are uh, below average, I mean, that's not what you're going to face at the NFL level. You're just not. I mean, you're getting the best of the best, and you're not going to get anywhere near their sack numbers. So I think it's a really good indicator about, about how somebody good can be, but you always have to take a look at the film and look at the competition that they played against. So the great thing about Aiden Hutchinson, if you watch the game, I think it was the last game of the year, maybe in the, yeah, it was versus Alabama. He was probably Jedrick Wills' worst nightmare throughout the whole entire season. I think he gave up two pressures to Hutchinson, which he didn't do all year to anybody else. So talk about a good measuring stick. Yeah. Somebody like Hutchinson, he went against the top 15 pick in this year's draft and did very, very well uh, late last year, at the, like I said, the bowl game. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, that, so that's, to your point, Glustner, promising for him and a good measuring stick kind of going into this next year. A couple more guys I kind of want to touch on, uh, probably a little bit lower. You know, actually a lot of people are high on Xavier Thomas, and that's from Clemson. And I'm kind of mixed on him because he has such a dominant freshman year, and I think people started thinking he was going to be the next great there, especially on a Clemson line two years ago that was so dominant. And then you watched Clemson last year, and you kind of just lost him on the game film. And I don't know why. I don't know if that's because he had all that extra help two years ago. And then you kind of lost all that, and it's really just him. So they were probably double-teaming him a lot more than mm-hmm. usual, but he kind of got lost in the film. So I think Xavier Thomas from Clemson, absolutely potential to be a first-round pick. But right now I kind of got him as a third-round pick just because I, I kind of forgot who he was last year mm-hmm. on Clemson's defense. And then – I'm going to give you kind of two sleepers. And by sleepers, I really mean third to fifth round players. And that's Ronnie Perkins from Oklahoma. Remember this guy. This this was the guy when they were about to go face, uh, who was it, LSU in the playoffs last year. Everyone's like, hey, they lost their best edge rusher. Well, that was Perkins. He, they lost him to suspension because they he got caught, I think, later testing uh, for marijuana. But this guy was a freshman All-American, All-Big 12 uh, soft, during his sophomore year. He's six foot three, two hundred fifty-one pounds. He had thirteen and a half uh, tackles for loss and six sacks in only I think eleven or twelve games last year. So the produ- production's there. He's got the size. I'm expecting a pretty big year from this year. I don't know if people are going to qu- still question the the marijuana that happened this past year. I think obviously NFL is kind of loosening up on those rules, but I, I expect him to kind of be a a fourth round 
player with the potential to move up in the draft boards with a good season. And then there's two other guys that I really, really like that I think have a chance to kind of shoot up on the draft boards. And one guy is Jordan Smith from UAB. Now, this guy was once a four-star prospect that went to the University of Florida, never really played there, and then he later transferred to a JUCO and eventually landed on UAB. And really, his first year at UAB, mm-hmm. he was a phenomenal, phenomenal uh, edge rusher. I think he had 10 sacks, and he rated really just behind Chase uh, Chase Young this past year as far as pressures and winning against the offensive line. So that you obviously you had the pass rushing, but actually winning that battle, he was in the top five last year according to Pro Football fo- uh, Focus on winning those battles mm-hmm. and getting to the quarterback. So I think this guy... Honestly, he's only got one, only one year of really good t- uh, game tape, but one more year of game tape, I can see him shooting up. He also had four, four forced fumbles, which is always fun to see when a guy yep. engages a runner or a quarterback and always looking for that sh- that strip sack, trying to get that ball, kind of just kind of make another play out of a good play already. And then one more guy, Taron Jackson. Probably haven't heard about this guy. This is a small school prospect. He's six foot two out of the University of Coastal Carolina. Now, he had 10 sacks last year, 60 tackles, so he's very good at tackling as well. He had 10 quarterback pressures. Uh, I think he set the single-season record single season record for Coastal Carolina for most sacks in a year. Mm-hmm. And we, we, so we reached out to him earlier this week, and we kind of asked him about his goals. And you know the great thing about this guy? He shows kind of high character. He's, he didn't say anything about stats. Nope. He's, he didn't look for better stats. He said he just wants to win the Sun Belt Conference and improve on his performance last year. And that's something you just got to love to hear from a – from a prospect, kind of just putting that team first kind mm-hmm. of mentality. So I, I see this guy right now, I have him kind of as a sixth to seventh round pick, but with one more good year of game tape and mm-hmm. kind of double digit sacks, I, I could possibly see him, you know, being a, a late uh, day two, early day three pick. If he puts together a pretty good season. Well, and the great thing about uh, a guy like that too is, you know, you're going to hear a lot of people talk about his lack of size because he's only six two, which is kind of on the smaller side for, um, you know, Someone being on the D line or, or or being part of that D line, but man, you got to remember, low guy wins, and and we've yep. seen guys like Dwight Freeney, we've seen guys like um, Terrell Suggs, we've seen guys like Elvis Dumerville. I mean, you name it, we've seen a lot of guys who you know are under that six one six foot height range, and they still dominate because they have tremendous technique, tremendous athleticism, and they're able to use that lack of height to their advantage. And, and Gless, can you kind of speak more to that, being you know an undersized nose tackle? Yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's all about you know your body placement and being able to establish leverage, right? So if, you, you know, low, low man doesn't always, always win, but if you have really good leverage and, and you're an athlete and you can get underneath your guy – yeah, size, you know, size may not be as much of a factor as people think. I, I think when it comes to size, especially especially height with defensive ends, I think you can get by if you've got, like, really long arms, right? I, I think mm-hmm. so when it talks about size, yeah, you can be 6'1", 6'2", but if you're a little bit longer and you can really get under a guy with those long arms, you can, you can play in the league. There's no doubt about it. You don't have to be 6'4", 6'5", just to compete. I mean, you could be 6'1", 6'2", but as, if you're long and you're you know, strong, you can get inside and get underneath guys, yeah, you can absolutely play. Pardon the interruption while we bring you some awesome news from our exclusive partners. There is no shortage of action going on at our exclusive partner, Bet Online. NASCAR is back. <laughs> it's those newest rivalry between Chase Elliott and Kyle Busch. And Bet Online has hundreds of other games, events, and sports to get in on. You can still bet on simulated NFL, NBA, and UFC events 24 7. Or you can participate in a $10,000 Madden Bracket Challenge, a March Madness style NFL simulation tournament you can enter for free. And coming up next Sunday, Bet Online has ex Chicago Bulls Ron Harper, Horace Grant, Bill Cartwright, and Craig Hodges joining them to discuss the Michael Jordan documentary on what they're calling the final dance. Visit betonline.ag and use promo code BLUEWIRE to receive your new welcome bonus and check out all the action. Bet Online, your online wagering solution. Blue Chew! Guys, looking to last longer and go a few extra rounds? I don't know which guy isn't. Get to BlueChew.com. BlueChew.com is the first ever chewable that brings your performance in the bedroom to another level. They've got the same active ingredients that are in Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. And since they're chewable, 
they work faster. You can take them anytime, day or night, even on a full stomach. Plus, you don't need to go to the doctor's office or spend time waiting in the pharmacy line. Blue Chew's online physician is free of cost, and once approved, your order ships straight to your door in discreet packaging. Here's a great deal for you guys. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first order free when you use the promo code BLUEWIRE. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com, promo code BLUEWIRE. Great analysis, Gless, and, and that brings us to our next talking point, interior defensive line. So, uh, Gless, I'm excited to hear some of your top prospects. Why don't we just jump right into it and, and start rolling down the list? Yeah, let's do it. And, you know, I know Brandon went over his, or Pastel went over his, just kind of, you know, what he looked for out of his uh, defensive end prospects, or I'm sorry, edge rusher prospects. So, some things that I looked for. Uh, you know, out of kind of my top five, I think you should look at, and I have a I have a sleeper and a small school prospect in there as well. But in the run game, right, the ability to not get knocked back, right, so I'm able to hold my ground, but I'm also able to establish penetration um, because a lot of these interior defensive lines, they're dealing with guards and tackles and centers, and things move really fast. So you got to be able to get off the ball. You can't get blown off the ball. And if you're going to be elite, you got to be able to get penetration. And then in the pass game, right, it, you know, in a pass rush, can you constantly either collapse the pocket or do you actually get a rush on the quarterback, right? Can you use your hands, get off the guard or the center, and be able to get to the quarterback? So I'm going to go from five to one is kind of how, how I did mine. So kind of the, the, fit, the fifth best interior defensive prospect that I have, a guy named Tyler Shelvin out of LSU, 6'5", 350. Uh, LSU, people around the program said this guy is their was their best defensive lineman this past year. Guy's a little bit interesting. The film that I watched, he's kind of your ideal one technique or your nose tackle. He never gets knocked back, right? I mean, he's the kind of guy in the run game that can that was constantly taking double teams. You know, I watched the Alabama film. I watched the Clemson film. And he's really, he's getting double teamed all the time. So it's really kind of hard for me to see him getting any sort of penetration. But what that does is if he cannot get knocked back by two of the best offensive lines in college football, that frees up a linebacker behind him to go make a play. He's a fantastic athlete for his size at 6'5", 350. See him running down screens and getting in the backfield and in constant pursuit. And he maintains really good pad level for a guy that big, right? So when I mean pad level is that, when he fires off the ball, he's not standing straight up looking for the ball. He's firing out into his gap or he's firing out into his man. I think in order for him to take the next step and be a first-day pick, um, he's really going to have to be a better pass rusher. Um, he's not going to beat you with speed either. So, you know, whether that's him being like a Fletcher Cox and really kind of getting into a guy and just bull rushing him and getting his hands up, uh, he just needs to become a better pass rusher. And that's why I think in 2020, if he has a really outstanding season, he could be a early day two, late day one pick. I don't see him jumping up a whole lot past some of these guys already have in the interior defensive line just because he's he's a he's a nose tackle one technique that really he's just kind of a big guy but he's a really good athlete for his size so Gless for for our listeners explain exactly when you say one technique nose tackle type of player explain what kind of scheme fit that is and and how that equates to in the NFL yeah sure so what you know when we're talking about techniques techniques are you know, is essentially the system on where they are on the defensive line. So zero is going to be straight ahead. I'm straight over the center, right? So generally, if I fire off the ball, I can either go into the A-gap to the right or A-gap to the left. So generally, that's kind of your 3-4 nose tackle is what you're looking at. Your one technique is going to be on the outside shoulder of the center, either to the left or the right. You're generally a a single gap player so you're an a gap player in that side so you're going to end up having a lot of double teams you're going to end up uh getting down blocks from the guard on either side you know so it's a nose tackle like but you're not really engaging straight up with the center a whole lot and when you're a one technique you're generally in a in a four three defense anything with a forefront you know that there's different hybrid defenses where there are no nose tackles and the nose tackle actually ends up as a one technique on one side or the other. But, you know, you're essentially, if you're a one technique, you're really dealing with guards and centers. 
That's really all you're ever dealing with. And you really just have to have a lot of beef. You got to be strong. You can't get knocked back because you are going to get double teamed a lot. So yeah, I think, I think the one interesting thing about him is, yeah, there's not a lot of needs in the NFL for no tackles these days, especially for a high round pick. But I think a player that kind of like reminds me of him is a DJ reader who didn't have very good passing skills. It seemed, seemed like coming out. He was more of a no tackle type of prospect, but you really saw the impact he had for Houston really allowing other players to penetrate because he was taking up so much of that offensive line. So yeah. to your point, Gless, I think while other people do believe that no sack position is kind of not going away, but the value of it has decreased, I think players like this that are so dominant really kind of lifts that position back up to what we once thought it was. Yeah, and I'd like to see him be more dominant, and I think if he's more dominant, I think that on a as a day-two pick, I think that's where he falls. I mean, if he has an out-of-this-world you know, 2020 season could be a late day one pick. But to your point, Brandon, it's just they're not taken very often as far as one technique and no tackles. But, I mean, no doubt about it. I mean, it, all the film I watched getting double teamed all the time. <laughs> not, yeah. You know, not many defensive and interior defensive linemen can be dominant when you're getting double teamed. So uh, just something to keep in mind. But what I saw is that it, I, impressive. And people around the LSU program said that he was the best one that they had. Now, this guy at number four, I can tell you from watching the film that if this guy is healthy in 2020, he will be, if not the top defensive, interior defensive lineman taken, he will be the second one. And that's Lorenzo Neal out of Purdue. He's about 6'3", uh, 315, gets fantastic penetration on run plays consistently. And when you are getting penetration consistently on run plays you're screwing up the offense you're screwing up the blocking schemes you're screwing up the running backs uh vision and all of that and that's what he does and it's incredible what he does for a guy his size has a great motor and pass rush for a guy his size guys he's got some of the best hands i've ever seen i mean you get anywhere around him and his hands are battling the offensive line's hands and he's able to get free pretty quickly for an interior defensive lineman he's a great pass rusher and he's really great against the run I was blown away at how good this guy was and if it wasn't for a serious injury that took him out most of 2019 probably would have been up there with Derek Brown taken in the first round he's that good in my opinion so hopefully we can see what we saw in 2018 here in 2020 so he can climb up that board I was extremely impressed at what I saw from him and that's Lorenzo Neal's Son, right? Lorenzo Neal, the famous, yeah, that's right. Yeah, uh, the famous fullback, fullback in the NFL. Yep. Uh, and this guy wasn't highly recruited. He was a three-star out of Houston and ends up going to Purdue. Played a little bit as a freshman, but man, it's impressive to watch him play. So, uh, and he also played really well against some really good teams, really good offensive linemen. You know, you think of the Iowas, you think of the Wisconsin's. You know, teams that generally have really good offensive lines. Lorenzo Neal played outstanding. So. The, uh, the Big Ten better be put on notice with uh, Lorenzo Neal and Rondell Moore at Purdue. I think they could make some noise this year. Yeah, I agree. It, isn't that scary, though, that both of those guys were basically out for 2019? Yep. Isn't yep. that crazy? I mean, had those guys played, Purdue's season could have been completely different. Exactly. Uh, anyway, so if you guys are interested or, or prospect nerds like we are, uh, look at Lorenzo Neal's uh, film as a sophomore. Uh, it's pretty outstanding. Another favorite guy of mine, Darius Stills out of West Virginia, kind of a smaller guy. I would think of Grady Jarrett with the Atlanta Falcons. This guy is a clone of his. Now listen to these stats, guys, as a nose tackle. Nose tackle. 31 solo tackles and seven sacks. Yep. Like, that's unbelievable to do at the nose tackle position. I watched a, a post-game interview with Matt Rule, head coach at, at Baylor, said 56 was the best player on the field today. Right, because he's this nose tackle that just gave their offensive line fits. He's running down screens. I love this guy's motor. His motor's fantastic. Uh, he's very instinctive as well, and I think that's why he gets by being undersized as a nose tackle. I think he's going to have to go to a three-front team that blitzes a lot. I think he's going to be a scheme fit uh, more than kind of your 4-3, one technique. I think he's a little bit too small. I see him more as a three-front, a team that likes to blitz, a Pittsburgh yeah, tr traditional Pittsburgh 3-4 nose tackle. But he's definitely a quick guy, and he's one that's going to be able to get after the quarterback. Just like I said about Lorenzo Neal, Darius Stills has the second-best hands I've ever seen 
at least looking at in this class. I mean, not the greatest hands ever, but greatest hand, the best hands in this class. You know, you look him work, you know, in the pass rush, offensive line will bring his hands up, and he's slapping him down, and he's able to get to the quarterback that way. So highly recommend looking at some Darius Still, uh, Stills film. Extremely impressed. Um, Jalen uh, uh, Twyman out of Pittsburgh, number two. Uh, 62290. Uh, he also had an incredible, uh, incredible season as well. Ten and a half sacks, twelve tackles for loss. Mainly a pass rush specialist, though. So if you're looking for an interior defensive lineman that's extremely good in the pass rush, I think this guy's it. Jalen Tyman out of out of Pittsburgh. I think he could put on a few more pounds to handle kind of the run game in the defensive line. I think he's a three technique at the same at the next level, but. What I would like to see out of him in 2020 is improve his game against the run. So what what do I mean by that? I mean that when you know the offensive line comes out at me, that I'm not getting blown back by the offensive tackle or the offensive guard, or I'm not getting penetration that I'm just standing the guy up. I think he can improve against the run. But if you are looking for a pass rusher and the interior defensive line, I think this guy might be your guy. Um, and, and, you know, he does it quite consistently. Uh, he's about the same size as Darius Dills, 6'2", 290. So, again, like I say, if he's going to be a three technique, I think he needs to put on a few more pounds. Liked what I saw out of him on film. And then the top prospect, Marvin Wilson, out of Florida State, uh, three technique. A lot of people think he could have been a first-round pick this year as well. Uh, definitely your prototypical three technique you see in the NFL, 6'5", mm-hmm. 310. Had five sacks. Incredibly athletic, and he was dominant against really bad competition, you know, and kind of held his own against some, you know, against some really good competition, too. I love his pass rush. Reminds me a lot of Jerron Reed from the Seattle Seahawks. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just like I said about Jalen Twyman, Marvin Wilson needs to be more consistent against the run. But, guys, he shows flashes of perennial Pro Bowl dominance, right? You'll see some of his highlights. You know, kind of reminds me a little bit of when we were watching uh, Javion Clowney come out of South Carolina. You saw these flashes of, oh, my gosh, who is this guy? Mm -hmm. And you kind of get that feeling when you watch Marvin Wilson. So I think his upside is enough to where he'll be a top prospect. But I think with a good 2020, I think he'll be on the level of like a Derrick Brown, right? Like we thought Derrick Brown was a can't miss. I think Marvin Wilson could get there. I think he just needs to be more consistent. So that kind of rounds out those top fives. Mm-hmm. Kind of a sli- another sleeper that I had, uh, Mustafa Johnson out of Colorado. Had a fantastic 2018. 2019 was extremely injured. Had a really down year when you compare it to 2018. But th- this guy is a hybrid. He is 6'1", 290, but he played a lot of what's called a five-technique, 3-4 defensive end, which means that he was traditionally you know, on the outside shoulder of the tackle. And, you know, you play against a shotgun team, that puts you in a pass rush situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in a 3-4, if you're bringing an outside backer, he may be slanting inside, so he has to deal with the, the double team from the tackle and the guard. I really like what I saw out of him in 2018. was extremely productive. 2019 was, again, like I said, he was extremely injured. So I think that with a really good 2020, he can, he can be a second day two pick, second, third round. Guy's really more of a hybrid fit. You know, I wouldn't say he's one way or the other. Uh, I think he's going to be a solid pro. It's hard for me to think that he's going to be dominant, but I think he's going to be a really good pro that could be a productive uh, interior defensive lineman, especially in a three front. When, um, when you say when you say a hybrid uh, and can fit into you know multiple defenses, when, like could he could he easily jump into a four front or a three front in the NFL and be okay? Yeah, that's kind of what I mean. So in a three front, you know, he can play a four technique or a five technique, which means if I'm a four technique or a four eye, it means that I'm either on the tackle, I'm shaded on the tackle, or I'm on the outside shoulder of the tackle. Depending on where I'm at is, all, you know, all based on what's being called. If there's a blitz coming coming from the outside, I might be slanting inside of the B gap, which is inside of the tackle. And he's physical enough to do that, and he's quick enough to do that. Where if you're more of a forefront – you know, you're generally going to be be a three technique, which is on the outside shoulder of the guard, and you're a, you're a, you're a B gap player, and you may do some stunting here and there, but for the most part, you're it's it's a lot more stagnant than maybe a maybe a three front's going to be. Mm-hmm. So I, he fits kind of both of those. He could play one or the other. 
you know, just because he's big enough, mm-hmm. right? He, he's big enough to handle the interior, the interior, the offensive line. The only thing I don't see him as a one technique. I just don't think he's, I, I just don't think he's big enough to do that. And, and I don't think he's a great pass rusher, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A, at least not as good of a pass rusher as he was in 2018. So, mm-hmm. but again, good 2020 year, uh, good 2020. Then a lot of things can happen here. And then my what you know, kind of a small school prospect that I really like guys guy named Roderick Perry out of South Carolina State listen to this as a as a three technique had 14.5 tackle for losses as a junior incredible athlete with a great motor Uh, again he's just a tad bit undersized from a height standpoint he's about six foot uh, but he's three uh, 310 pounds and you know he some of the film that I was watching Man, quick as a cat. I mean, talk about a guy that has a great has a great great swim move, has a great rip, really gets by the tackles and the guards, and plays a lot of his time in the backfield. So I think he could be a really good day three pick at a really good value at a small school. It's kind of interesting that I look at your list right now, and I agree with a lot of these people, and I really do like these guys. It's interesting though, like some of these guys are six two and less. Like I think it really tells me that you're more focused on the technique. You're more focused on the pass rushing ability, kind of like a uh, Twyman. I and mean, he's only 6'2", 290, but he had 10 and a half sacks. So I think mm-hmm. it's kind of something interesting you have to look at today's offenses and with the things that they run and how they're adapting more of the college offenses that you do need more pass rushing interior linemen. And that's why I think it, it almost seems like you almost value that a little bit outside of the stereotypical dominant nose tackles like the guy from LSU, Sheldon. Yeah, it's interesting. I think that's a really good point. You know, a couple guys that are 6'2", 6'1", here. I just really like what they did and how quick they were and how dominant they were against really good competition that I think it's weren't you know, it's it's warranted to be that way. I don't I don't think you need to be 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six if you play with really good leverage and you, you're able to get under pads and you're long, right? And then speed is great. And if you've got the technique down, if you've, if you've got great hands, if you're able to get in the backfield, if you're able to get penetration, it's easy for schools to, to find guys that are 6'5", 6'6", 3'10", 315. But if you don't have that technique and if you don't show that athleticism, then what are you doing? I mean, yeah. those guys aren't going to be very, very effective. And I think it's easier to find those guys. I think it's tougher to find the 6'2", 6'3", maybe – 10, 20 pounds, a little bit lighter, but their technique is great and they're constantly in the backfield and they're really good pass rushers. You know, to me, I think those guys are worth taking a chance on more than just taking your prototypical Mm -hmm. 6'5", 6'6", 340, you know, three technique. If if all he's going to do is just stand up and just, you know, occupy a gap and, but not give you anything else. You know how you know Marvin Wilson's good? It's because he's six foot five, three ten, and he wears the number twenty one. I, I, <laughs> I love know. the the big guys that wear the single digit numbers or like the the running back type of numbers, not the stereotypical ninety six. Uh, yeah, ninety six. Yep, Greg yep. Lloyd type of numbers. I love, I, I, I love that. I love Lo- it. Lo- Lorenzo Neal at Purdue wears number twelve. Love <laughs> it. And it's it's so random. It's <laughs> I was watching this film and I was geeking out. I couldn't believe that the defensive line coach actually lets him wear number twelve. Yep. I think Mustafa Johnson, I think he's number 43. I think Shelvin's, I think he's 75 or 70. Oh, 72, just like Glenn Dorsey, because I was watching that nice. film. I was like, oh, Ooh, I was like Glenn yeah. Dorsey. Another. And then it's funny, man. So Darius Stills out of West Virginia has a, has a brother on the team, and his brother plays defensive end. His brother's pretty good, too. I was impressed at, at some of his films. So I don't know, pretty good crop this year. I like what I see, but I think a couple of these guys need really good – 2020s to be yeah to, to to really be taken on day one or or even day two you know I, they need big 2020s you know guys like Healthy. Darius Stills needs a big 2020 I think Marvin Wilson needs a big 2020 to be a day one pick I I really do I just I would like to see him just be more consistent mm-hmm. yeah and Florida State had a lot of turmoil the last couple of years hopefully Mike Norvell will bring some stability to the program and a lot of and and help develop a lot of those four and five star athletes that are on that FSU team. So, but that being said, as we kind of as we kind of wrap up this D line segment, I kind of want to play a, a fun game here called Rapid Fire. And what Rapid Fire is is we're gonna I'm gonna name a couple prospects that we just went over, and I want Gless and Pastel 
to give me the first pro <laughs> player that comes to their mind when I say their name. So I'm going to I'm going to it's going to be very quick. There's going to be no analysis. It's going to be I'm going to give you the prospect and you give me the pro comparison off Pressure's the top of your on. head. Love so, it. Love it. So, Let's do it. All right. So the first prospect is Gregory Rousseau. Pastel easy. go. Jason Taylor. Too easy. Gluss. Chandler Chandler Jones. Okay. Mm. The next prospect is Aiden Hutchinson. Pastel go. Uh, we'll go with Ryan Kerrigan. Gluss. TJ Watt. Oh, nice. That's a good one. Marvin Nelson. Pastel. I'm sorry. Indom- Marvin Wilson, my apologies. Indomitian Sue, all the way. Okay. Uh, Jerron Reed, Seattle Seahawks. Got it. He would say Seattle player. <laughs> L- Lorenzo Neal, Pastel. I'm going to go with oh, Michael Brockers. Yeah. Gluss. I'm going to go Fletcher Cox here. Ooh, that's high we'll praise. Cox. Uh, and, and the last one, Teron Jackson, Pastel. Yeah, small school guy. Uh, let's go with someone kind of similar size. How about Melvin Ingram from San Diego? Gluss? Uh, I, I'm going to throw someone else, but pretty similar. Uh, Elvis Dumerville is who I'm going to go with. That's a good pick. I like that. Yeah. And that does it for our first game ever of Rapid Nicely Fire. Done, guys. A lot of pressure, yeah. man. <laughs> Not bad. It went a lot better than I expected. So very well. Uh, well, look, as we wrap up the show tonight, uh, as always, we're going to do a get to know a prospect segment. And we actually sent out uh, a question on social media the other day asking people to to give us some prospects they would like to get to know or would like us to to research and, and, and get to know as well. And one of the ones was Clemson's defensive tackle, Tyler Davis. Now, the one thing to note here is he is a true sophomore. He is not eligible for the 2021 draft. He's a 2022 and beyond prospect. But this get to know our pro- your prospect segment is not for the 2021 draft. It's anybody in college football, and it could be anybody who's being recruited right now as well. There's no limits on on the prospect we are going to highlight at the end of these segments. So I know a lot of them have been 2021 prospects or 21, 2021 draft prospects, but I think this is the first guy we've we, we've highlighted since. So and he's a stud. He is a monster. So he came into Clemson as a true freshman last year as the number 12 rated defensive tackle in the entire entire recruiting process in the entire nation. So very highly touted, very highly recruited, gets signed to Clemson and has a very unique opportunity because I don't know if you guys remember that 2018 Clemson team lost basically their entire defensive line, their entire starting defensive line. Yeah, four, yeah they had five guys get drafted. So he had an opportunity to step in right away and earn some playing time, and sure enough, he did. And they caught he earned the nickname Baby Dex after Dexter Lawrence, a guy who he essentially replaced, uh, has a lot of on-field comparisons to. But all he did was come in and be, as a true freshman, second-team All-ACC. He's credited with 51 tackles, 9 for loss, 5.5 sacks, 2 pass breakups, a fumble recovery, and 15 games, 13 as a starter. Again, as a true freshman for a team that per- that annually competes for national championships, that is annually in the playoff picture. He's the first true freshman defensive tackle to start for Clemson since 1974. That's how wow. dominant this guy That's was. That's impressive. I mean, this kid is absolutely going to be a bona fide first round pick probably a top 10 pick if he keeps up with this trajectory 62295 and, and honestly size. yeah there's and he's got room to grow so you know you come in as a freshman at 62295 you're you're going to put on some weight you're going to get stronger you're going to hit a weight program that you've never hit before because you're going to an elite program like Clemson I'm really excited to watch this kid develop I, I'm excited and yeah. I pastel you mentioned he reminds you a lot of Geno Atkins Again, you look at similar body types and you look at the kind of skill set. So Geno Atkins is almost identical to Tyler Davis. Geno Atkins is around 6'2", 300. This guy's about 6'2", 290, 295. But we all expect him to add on probably another 5 or 10 pounds of muscle. And the thing with Geno, the guy out of Georgia, plays for Cincinnati Bengals at this point, he's a true pass rusher. Kind of what Glessner was just highlighting with the kind of his players, interior linemen, is... You don't, he was kind of the first of his kind, him and Aaron Donald, really the interior offensive or defensive linemen that were getting after the quarterback with over 10 sacks a year, yeah. which, was, again, was pretty rare. And I see a guy That's like so Tyler impressive. Davis yeah. at this size having that same pack of impact. I mean, you don't get five and a half or six sacks at Clemson as a true freshman unless you have that type of ability. Yeah. And again, 
I won't consider him smaller because I think actually just looking at Gluster's list, I guess he's about average because that's kind of what you were highlighting. So I'm extremely excited to see what he does. The scary part is that like, we just highlighted a guy, Xavier Thomas, who had a very similar freshman year. Everyone yeah. was talking about this guy being the next great, and then we, he kind of got lost in the game film last year as a sophomore. So I, I don't expect that from Tyler Davis. Wish the best for him. And also kind of shout out to the guy that gave this pick, uh, Clemson Jacob, 98, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, shout out to you. Please, if you are if you watch the show, uh, hit us up on social media and just kind of tell the players that you would like uh, like for us to break down and yep. analyze. Because, again, it, it's fans above all. We want to make sure we reach out to you guys and kind of talk about what you want to what you want to hear. So, Clemson yep. Jacob, 98, look, this is for you. Look, you can you could do a lot worse than picking out a Clemson defensive lineman. <laughs> I mean, the, the, all, all, all they're doing is just just – shoveling out first second third round picks that are productive nfl players so i i highly anticipate this guy um, being the next one in line being kind of one of the kind of that next wave of clemson you know defense alignment defensive line you it's up there lsu is up there um you know alabama you know they sent three or four guys they haven't done it they haven't really done it recently I mean, LSU's got to be up there, right? Yeah. I know yeah. I, I, all three, Alabama, Clemson, and LSU, have just you know, annually turned out studs on, on the defensive line. And I think, Brandon, I think the, you talked about your concern was that sophomore slump, kind of like Thomas had. And I think the one thing that, that helps him out is he wasn't really a benefit of having four first-round picks or four day one, day two picks on the defensive line as a freshman. He had to come in there and basically on a, rebu- yeah, on a <laughs> rebuilt defensive line, earned it, yeah. and then became the guy. So I, I, I expect bigger things from him next year. And, you know, going back on the film, he reminds me a lot of John Randall. I just love the Ooh, intensity. I like that. That's the a, intensity that's he a big comparison, man. The intensity he plays with reminds me of that, and just the way he just get as aggressive as he is getting off the ball uh, reminds me a lot of John Randall. Which I know, mm-hmm. I I know that's could be an unfair comparison because John Randall's a Hall of Famer, but it just their game is very similar in, in my opinion. So you hear that Tyler Davis, yeah, get the eye black out, put it on your face. Yeah, that's get, right. ah, get, you just gotta start screaming all the time. <laughs> Well, that does it, guys. Uh, an awesome D-line show, as always. Uh, we hope you enjoyed getting to know some of these prospects. As, as, as we wrap up, just remember you can follow us on all social media accounts at Prospects101Pod. And don't forget on Apple Podcasts to leave us a five-star rating and a review. Uh, and make sure you share with your friends. For Brandon Glessner, for Brandon Pastel, I'm Kenny Keller. Have a great night.